So we made it. It looks like we made it. <clears throat> um, Hare Krishna. Welcome to the Sunday Bhagavatam class. <clears throat> um, we're already in May. It's May 3rd, 2020 in Coronado. So uh, we have some very interesting topics today. Uh, I'm going to first actually <clears throat> talk for a moment about the last verse we did um, last week, <clears throat> because it's uh, there's a philosophical point which is unusual here. <clears throat> At in the Bhagavatam, well, first Om Namo Bhagavate Vasudevaya, Om Namo Bhagavate Vasudevaya. <clears throat> Om Namo Bhagavate Vasudevaya. So uh, last week, 1628 was Prayujamane Mai Tang Sudhang Bhagavatin Tanu, which means that uh, while I was acquiring, as I was acquiring a Pure godly body. That's literally what it says. Shudhang means pure. Bhagavatim from Bhagavan, godly and tanum, body. As I was acquiring that pure godly body, which is taken to be like a spiritual body, Arabda Karma Nirvano, Nyapata Panchabhotika, my material body, which is described here as panchabhotika. Bhuta means, in this case, a material element. So panchabhotika means that which is made of the five gross elements, earth, water, fire, air, and sky. So that material body made of the five elements because it was arabda karma nirvana, that all of the accumulated karma was finished. I had burned through all the accumulated karma of that body and so that body which was a material body nyapatat literally it fell down it just it fell away or you could say it <clears throat> that body fell away in other words in the normal way of talking i died <clears throat> or in the sense i lost that material body and i acquired a pure godly body so <clears throat> that's all very inspiring. So what is the complication? The complication is, <clears throat> the next verse says, Kalpan Tayidamadaya Shayaneyambasivdanbataha Shishayishyor Anupranam Bibishayantarahambibho That Kalpan at the end of the Kalpa. So Nardi has that pure godly body, that Shudham Bhagavatin Tanum, and then kalpante, at the end of the kalpa, uh, taking this or gathering this, which here this means the material world, shayaneyam uh, vasi udanbataha, as he was lying uh, in the water, in, in the great, sort of the great causal ocean, or the garbo, garbo ocean, Shisha Ishur, he was desiring to go into that yoga nidra. In other words, this is Lord Vishnu, the creator of the universe, 
going through the cycles that Krishna describes in the Bhagavad Gita, where the universes are created for a certain time and then they're withdrawn. And so here it's time to withdraw the universes. It's like, okay, this game is over for now and now we're going to take a break. So that's what Krishna does. He lets the conditioned souls sort of, I guess, thrash about, try their best in the material world. They're trying to enjoy, they're trying to learn. And then after going through this for some time in many lifetimes, it's understandable that souls just, they need a break. They need a time out. They're tired. It's, it can be pretty exhausting mentally to go through all your karma and, you know, slogging around and this body and that body. And so souls need a break to rest and kind of get ready for another session. So, so then the universe, the creation's withdrawn, and uh, the souls, you could say, sleep within the body of the Lord. Then they come out again and try again. So, so then when this was happening, uh, when the Lord wanted to lie down and withdraw the universe, then Bivishe, Antaraham Vivo, uh i entered uh within vivishe means i entered enter within aham i vivo uh within the lord who was the lord wanted to lie down so then he was lying down and so i entered with his breathing because obviously if this inconceivably gigantic form of vishnu was exhaling he couldn't be hard to enter because you know he's blowing out this inconceivably large powerful wind and so then when he's inhaling anupranam following his uh, his breath i entered but so the problem is what's narda doing there because narda is a liberated soul at this time he has a he has a um a shudham bhagavatim he has this pure godly body he is now krishna conscious why is he entering the lord's body like a conditioned soul and then uh the next verse says so hasra yuga pariente with the expiration of a thousand yuga cycles or the equivalent and krishna talks about this in the bhagavad-gita about how bhutva bhuta praliyate sahasra yuga pariyam sahasra yuga pariyantam ahur jad brahmano we do they say that a thousand yuga cycles is brahma's day and a thousand is his night so during the night there's not actually yugas going on but it's that much time so sahasra yuga pariyante is basically it's exactly it's just exactly what the gita says sahasra yuga pariyantam so a thousand yuga cycles expired which are many millions of years and utaya rising up so the lord was lying down now utaya rising up and wanting to create again this material world then marichi mishra rishayaha uh the sages uh such as marichi prane bhyo hangjajagire they were born from the lord's breath so you come into this gigantic body of Vishnu through the breath, and then you go out again from the breath. Krishna literally, or Vishnu, breathes out all these souls. And Narada says, Ahamcha, and I too. 
me too. I mean, all these sages then took birth from the Lord's breath and me too. I also hung jump. So why is Narda going through all this if he is, if he's already got a spiritual body? And that's the question that needs to be addressed here. A little more light. Better to see you, my dear. So, um, a great, one of the great Vaishnav commentators, uh, Vangshitara, addresses this point. I, I looked at the commentary for this series of verses. And uh, this is what Vangshitara says. And this is, I just did a, not a rough translation, it's, a, it's an accurate translation, but I didn't bother to polish the English. I was, but the, the, so it's, but it's accurate. So some time ago, Vangshidra says, while discussing the spiritual body, which just means a little while ago, a few verses ago, the point was raised that, uh, oh, I'm sorry, that's my writing. Okay, sorry. Here is Vangshidra's commentary. Sorry about that. Uh, Vangshidra says, however, uh, it may, because, okay, the Bhagavatam says this. However, someone's raising an argument. It may be argued that since you, Narada, someone may argue, Narada, because Narada's saying this. So someone may reply to Narada, okay, Narada, you're saying this, but what about this problem? So, however, since you, Narada, received an eternal body, uh, Nitya uh, Tanu, a... Uh, that pure godly body, since you received an eternal body, how in this age, the Swayambhuva Manvantara, how is it said that, quote, Narda was born, unquote, during his subsequent creation? Your birth, Narda, along with Brahma, is well known. So this very question, how if you received a, a pure spiritual body, why did you take birth? again in this world, and in reply, Narda could say, true, that's true, uh, but even in the case of an eternal body, uh, the Lord may do something for a specific pastime, and then, for example, the Lord enters the womb of Devaki. When Krishna appeared in the Bhagavatam, uh, appeared in this world as described in the Bhagavatam 10th Canto, even though Krishna has an eternal body, still he entered the womb of Devaki. And then Narada could say, I too, for the sake of the pastime of being Brahma's son, uh, so at the end of the at the end, so at the end of the previous kalpa, so I took birth again. Even though I had a spiritual body, I took birth because it was supposed to happen as a pastime that I would be born as Brahma's son. And in that position, of course, Narada is going to preach all over the universe. So anyway, that's what uh, Vangshidara says, the, one of the great Vaishnava commentators. So that I want to bring up that point because often there are different theories like how was Narada born again as if he were a conditioned soul from the body of Vishnu if he had already received a spiritual body. So uh, I'm going to go on now. Uh to the next verse. So Narada is back in the universe. 
So now what's he going to do? He's come back into this universe and he says, I wander the three worlds, I wander the three worlds within and without. So that's very interesting. He's entering within the hearts of, of, of the conditioned soul through his preaching, through his singing, and he's going outside. So he's, he's just all over the universe. And he's entering people's minds, entering their consciousness, traveling everywhere. Uh, Prabhupada called him the spiritual spaceman. So, Paryemi means I wander, I literally, I, I go around. Askandita Vrataha, and my Vrata, my vow, his regular principles, he says, I never slip, I never fall from my vows. So he's a pure soul who is um, perfectly keeping his spiritual vows, going everywhere, seeing everything, and yet completely fixed in Krishna consciousness. Paryemi skandita vrataha, anugrahan Mahavishnur. And this is by the mercy of Mahavishnu. So he was within Mahavishnu's body. So by the mercy of Mahavishnu, Avighata gati kochit. I and my movement, gati, avighata is never blocked, is never impeded. Impeded. I mean, Narda can go anywhere. He can go anywhere in the universe, and uh, and nothing can stop him. Avighata gati kochit. There is an ancient uh, Platonic myth from Plato, I think it's called Gyges, where there apparently was some man who was an attendant to the king or something where he, he got some magical thing. I can't remember, I think it was a ring. And this ring could make him invisible. And so what did he do? He used this power of invisibility to assassinate the king, enjoy the queen, uh, which you can imagine, uh, and basically just gratify himself and so here we have a very different situation here we have narda muni who's a pure devotee and so it's interesting that he mentions a skandita vrataha because if someone has the power to go anywhere no one can stop them you know it's like they they're that superhero the incredible flash you know he can do anything and then just flash away and so if a conditioned soul had this power to go anywhere to go anywhere no one could stop you, you can go within go outside you can just they would probably use this power for a lot of uh unwholesome uh things you know an ordinary person would use this power to enjoy in ways often that were not very nice and yet narda is saying that i have this power i can go anywhere by mahavishnu's mercy and yet skanda means in sanskrit skand means to slip or fall, and skandita means slipped or fallen. So askandita vrataha, my vrata, my vow is askandita. Narda strictly follows his principles, always engaged in the Lord's service, even though he has this amazing power, which is impressive. So the next verse is deva dattam imang vinang swara brahma vibhushitam murchaitva. So playing this musical instrument, this vina, imang vinam, this vina, which is deva dattam, God-given, 
literally God-given, deva datta. So playing, sounding this God-given vina, which is vibhushitam, adorned with or made opulent with swara brahma, uh, music, spiritual music. Swara brahma, uh, uh, brahma, absolute truth, absolute experience in the form of music, in the form of melody. So devadattam imang vinang swara brahma vibhushitam murchitva harikatam gayamana charamiham. And so singing gayamana from the same root as the word gita song. So gayamana singing harikata. Narda is, uh, he's quite a person. I mean, Narda Muni is a very impressive devotee. He, um, he's pure, fixed in his vows. He can go anywhere in the universe. He does go everywhere in the universe. No one can stop him. He's pure. He's singing these beautiful, enchanting songs about the Lord, playing this instrument. It's uh, always on tour. I mean, it's, he does this concert tour all over the universe, but he does it as a pure devotee, enlightening the universe. So Narada Muni is a, um, a most impressive soul. If you really think about it, what he's doing, it's pretty amazing. So that's Narada Muni. Then we're coming toward the end of the chapter. Then he says, Pragayatak Swaviryani Tirtapadak Priyaksava. Ahuta eva me shigrang darshanang yati chaitasi. So, pragayataksua viryani, as I am singing, and not only gayataha, but pragayata, he's like singing forth, he's really singing. As, as I'm singing uh, his heroic deeds, his, his uh, adventures, his feats, what Krishna says, as, as I'm singing about them, uh, Tirtapada, the Lord himself was Tirtapada, which means wherever his feet step becomes a holy place, Tirtapada. Uh, he is himself a holy place, and wherever he goes, just by walking there, going there, stepping there, he transforms any place into a holy place. And Priyakshava, and it is it is a real pleasure to hear about him. So this is how Narda uh, describes Krishna. He uses the, the, Krishna has unlimited names, but here Narda calls Krishna Tirtapada and Priyakshava. And so Ahuta Eva. So as I'm singing about him, as if I were summoning him, Ahuta Eva, as if I were summoning him, may Shigrang Darshan and Jati Chetasi, he quickly. He very quickly, literally goes to my seeing. In other words, he, he becomes visible to me. That's how you, in Sanskrit, it sounds very good. English, it sounds a little awkward, but not in Sanskrit. So, he comes within my sight quickly, as if I had summoned him. And chaitasi, within my mind, within my consciousness, so, so as if, and here chaitas can mean consciousness, mind, it can also mean heart. So Prabhupada translates it here on the seat of my heart, chaitas. 
mind, consciousness, or heart. So another beautiful verse. Narada Muni has this extraordinary relationship with Krishna. I mean, this is, you want to talk about happiness? This is happiness. Narada Muni, he has this, he can just go anywhere in the universe. No one can stop him, inside, outside, just this complete, total freedom of movement. And he's just singing about the glories of the Lord. And when he does that, Krishna, as if, Krishna, as if he's being summoned by Narada, serving his devotee, he quickly or at once, uh, he just appears. He becomes visible within Narada's mind or within his heart. As they say, what a life. So the next verse, etadhi, which means it is really this. Etadhi, atura chitta nang mata sparsi chayamuhu bhavasindu plavodrashto. Very nice. So to put this in English syntax, English word order. Um, so for those whose minds are suffering, there's a contrast here because from the same root, you get the word chaitas or similar root chaitas than the word chit, which also means consciousness, chitta. Chitta. So Narda says, for those whose chitta, atura chitta nan, for those whose mind, whose consciousness, Prabhupada says, are always full of cares and anxieties, atura. Cares and anxieties, troubles, atura. So for those whose minds are always disturbed, always full of trouble, full of problems, matras parsi chayamuhu. And why all these troubles? Is because they always, people always have the desire, ichiya, literally to touch or to have contact with sense objects. So, matra, uh, as in Krishna's, actually, Krishna in the Gita says, matra sparsha's tu konteya. So, matra sparsha in Sanskrit means contact with or literally wanting to touch the sense objects through your different senses, your eyes, in, a, in that sense, touch visible objects and your ears touch sounds and so on. So matra sparsha, uh, ichaya, because because we always want to enjoy the sense objects. We always want to enjoy the sense objects. We want to touch through our different senses the sense objects. Therefore, our minds are always disturbed. We're always, we always have problems. <clears throat> and so, uh, and therefore, we are in Bhavasindhu. Bhavasindhu means the material ocean, the ocean of birth and death. But Narada says that the plava, the plava means the raft or the boat, literally that which floats. And so the, the, the boat to take you across the material ocean, drishta, has been seen. There is now or Prabhupada translates it experienced, literally seen, uh, and then or in the sense of experienced, is now come into view. And what is that? It is certainly this, Narada says, Haricharyanu Varnanam. It is constant recitation of the activities of Hari, of the Lord. Beautiful verse. I mean, I've 
I won't go into all the technical reasons why, but in Sanskrit, you have a lot more freedom of word order because it's an inflected language. And so the, uh, the great transcendental poets and writers, I guess, they take advantage of this, uh, some, uh, you could say, a syntactic flexibility of Sanskrit. It has incredible, tremendous freedom of word order uh, and everything still remains completely clear. And so you can do all, you can do amazing things poetically with this linguistic freedom. So, uh, syntax, syntax, syntax means the word order, so syntactic freedom. So, etadhya sura chittanang matrasparashe chayamuhu bhavasindhu plavo drishto harichariyanu varnanam. Beautiful verse. So, after that, jamadi vir yoga patai kamalova hatomuhu. Mukunda Sivaya Jadvat Tatad Madha Nashamyati. So Yoga Patai means by the yoga paths. By the yoga paths. In other words, the eightfold yoga, the eight procedures or the eight paths, the eight processes of yoga. Yamadi B, which begin with Yama. So that's Ishtanga Yoga, Yama, Niyama, Asana, and so on. So here it said, by the yoga paths, literally, or by the yoga procedures, beginning with yama, kamalova hato muhu, that one can always uh, suppress or vanquish uh, lust and greed. Lo kamalova hato, one can repress lust and greed. But mukunda sevaya, the way you can do this, the way you can control your material desires, which remember from the previous verse, are why our minds are troubled. That's why we have problems. It's because we're trying to enjoy the material world, touch the sense objects. And so, uh, so therefore, this lust and greed, because that's what it is. When, when we want to enjoy the material world, it's lust and greed. And uh, so we can vanquish this lust and greed. It can be hatha. It can be stopped or it can be suppressed or, or uh, by the yoga paths, the yoga procedures, beginning with yama, but not as effectively, not in the same way that you can overcome your material desires and therefore find real peace. Mukunda Sevaya by serving Mukunda, by serving Krishna. So Tatha, in that way, uh, Atma, the soul, Adha, directly, precisely, Nashamyati. The soul cannot be directly pacified. It cannot be directly, it cannot find the same peace through the yoga, Shtanga Yoga that it can find through the, the peace the soul can find uh, by serving the Lord, by Krishna consciousness, by serving Krishna. So even though the yoga, the Ashtanga yoga works, but not as effectively, not to the same extent, it's uh, better just to serve Krishna. It will be much more effective, <clears throat> faster, and in every way better by serving Krishna.
this verse, in this verse, Nard acknowledges Ashtanga Yoga is a bona fide process, but not the best process. So now Nard is concluding. He says, Sarvam Tadidanga Kyatam. All of this, all of this has been explained. This has all been explained. Yet Prishto hung God, that which you asked, questioned me about. So you asked me questions like, tell me about your life or whatever. So whatever you asked me, Anaga, O sinless Vyasa, all of that, all of that has been explained. Janma karma rahasyang may, the mystery of my birth and activities. It's interesting. Krishna also, of course, famously in the Gita says, Janma karma may chadivyam, my divine birth and activities. One who knows them never takes birth again. And here, of course, we're talking about a pure devotee of Krishna, the great Narada Muni, and he also uses the term Janma karma, my birth and activities. And he says, the mystery of my birth and activities. Janma karma rahasyang me bhavatas chatmatoshanam has all been explained to you, atmatoshanam, and it satisfies the soul. By hearing about the, the life, in this case, the lives, more than one life, of pure devotees, atmatoshanam, it satisfies the soul. And Narda says it will satisfy. It satisfies your soul. This will satisfy your soul. This will bring you the peace that you wanted. So it's very interesting that when Narda first came, he said, "Oh my God, Vyasta, you know what did you do? Like writing all these karma kanda literatures?" He basically said, "You know, this is really a mess." I mean, he actually he used stronger words than mess. He said, "Jugupsi dung. Uh, this is horrible. Dharma kritain. What you've done, you know, for the sake of dharma." He said, Mahan Vyatikrama, literally a great transgression. So, and Narda said, and obviously that's why you're frustrated. And Vyas already knew that. He said, I think this is the reason. So now, then, well, back then, Narda told Vyasa, you need to really just preach directly. Don't hold back. Don't try to compensate for the fact that people may not want to hear about Krishna or just just tell the truth just give it straight tell it and just tell you know don't worry about how people react just give pure Krishna consciousness and so to encourage him Narda says well here's my life because you want to hear about it so the life of Narda is an example of what Vyasa now has to do in the Bhagavatam which, of course, he does because it's included in the Bhagavatam. So Narda is getting Vyas started. Here is a, here's the kind of story you need to tell. And so in a sense, uh, now that Vyas is going to, uh, of course, follow what Narda said, and so the first story we get is the story narrated by Narda himself, the very Krishna conscious story of his own liberation. So that's it. Uh, then Sutu Vacha, the last verse, which is very important. I want to read a little bit of Prabhupada's purport because it's, it's I believe, an extremely important purport. Sutu Vacha evam sambhasya bhagavan narado vasavi sutam. So thus speaking uh, to vasavi sutta, 
which means Vyasa, the son of Vasavi, which means Satyavati, the daughter of the Emperor Vasu. That's from the Mahabharata, uh, chapter 57. So, so Vasavi Sutta means uh, Vyasa, the son of the son of Satyavati, who's the daughter of Vasu. Narada Vasavi Suttam Amantriya Vinam Ranayan Yayo Yadrachikomuni. So taking his leave. This is a very polite, say, uh, very polite culture. So Amantriya taking his leave and Vinam Ranayan stroking, vibrating his Vina. Yayo Yadrachikomuni. The sage, the Muni Narda, then went Yadrachiko Narda departed Narda, who has complete freedom. He can go wherever he likes. Yadrachiko. So uh, I'm gonna read Prabhupada translates this as dog going by. That's not that was not scheduled as part of the Bhagavatam class. The dog continues. Well, let me just one second. I'll close the door. Don't go away. So, Prabhupada says, this is, I think, perhaps Prabhupada's most powerful purport on freedom, on the, the freedom that we want. Every living being is anxious for full freedom because that is his transcendental nature. In that sense, John Locke was right. The, the English uh, political philosopher and other kinds of philosopher, we said that it is the nature of a person, like we are sort of, our natural state is freedom. And therefore, he said, the state has to justify passing laws. You know, there's a leader, a king, a, a government. It can't simply restrict us however it likes. It has to rationally justify impinging upon or limiting our natural state, which is freedom. So it's nice to see that John Locke got that right. So Prabhupada says, every living being is anxious for full freedom because that is his transcendental nature. The problem is it's not our material nature all the time. Materially, we become slaves of our senses. We, we sometimes follow the wrong people, but at least our original spiritual nature. So Locke got it half right. Our, our transcendental nature is to be anxious for full freedom. This freedom is obtained. So how do you get this freedom? Only through the transcendental service of the Lord. Illusioned by the external energy, everyone thinks that he is free, but actually he's bound up by the laws of nature. A conditioned soul cannot freely move from one place to another, even on this earth. And what to speak of one planet to another, but... A full-fledged free soul like Narada, always engaged in chanting the Lord's glory, is free to move not only on earth, but also in any part of the universe, as well as in any part of the spiritual sky. We can just imagine the extent and unlimitedness of his freedom, which is as good as that of the Supreme Lord. There is no reason or obligation for his traveling and no one can stop him from his free movement. Similarly, this is very important, similarly, the transcendental system of devotional service is also free. It may or may not develop in a particular person. 
even after he undergoes all the detailed formulas, which means you cannot simply agyata sukriti someone into their own Krishna consciousness. In other words, we can't simply manipulate people by getting them to eat prasadam or, or you know, putting a harinam on their path so they can't avoid it. I mean, that helps, but ultimately you can't make somebody a devotee. They have to choose to be a devotee. It's something that someone has to choose. Prabhupada says, devotional service is also free. It may or may not develop in a particular person even after he undergoes all the detailed formulas. Similarly, the association of the devotee is also free. One may be fortunate to have it or one may not have it, even after thousands of endeavors. Uh, of course, there's some logic here. Krishna says in the Gita that I reciprocate with everyone. I'm equal to everyone. And a devotee following Krishna fairly reciprocates with people. So it's not enough to make an endeavor. We have to correctly endeavor humbly. Uh, and if we're not humble, if we are not respectful toward the Lord and his devotees, and even though we may try to get their association, we may not achieve it. Therefore, and this is the conclusion, and this is, I think, I think, extremely important statement from Prabhupada. Therefore, in all spheres of devotional service, freedom is the main pivot. Everything, the pivot, everything goes on the pivot. Everything moves around freedom. Without freedom, there is no execution of devotional service. This is very important. So you, can't, you can't make someone unconsciously serve Krishna. That's the point. By Agyata Sukriti. It's nice. It helps. But you, you cannot make someone serve Krishna. They have to choose. Without freedom, there is no execution of devotional service. So people will make significant advancement, not by our manipulating them by sort of, you know, in a very sort of sneaky way, getting, giving them prashadam and they don't know what it is, or we kind of put a Harinam party right in their path so they don't want to hear it, they're not necessarily interested, but we got you. It's like one of those ISKCON gotcha moments where, ha, ah, we got you to hear it, and so on and so it's, I mean, those things are nice. I'm not saying they don't help, but Prabhupada says here, clearly without freedom, there is no execution of devotional service. People can really serve Krishna when they choose to serve Krishna. So I think we should focus more on persuasion, maybe less on manipulation. The freedom surrender to the Lord does not mean that the devotee becomes dependent in every respect. In other words, it's not that Prabhupada, as a pure devotee, uh, has no freedom to sometimes his own views or to have his own preferences. He's just this almost robotic, surrendered instrument of Krishna. So Prabhupada never actually speaks or does anything. It's Krishna speaking and acting through him, which would mean that the more you become Krishna conscious, the less of a real person you are, which would be a completely insane conclusion. The more you become Krishna conscious, the more you become yourself, the more you become a free, unique individual. And so Prabhupada says, without freedom, there is no execution of devotional service. The freedom surrendered to the Lord, as in the case of a pure devotee like Prabhupada, does not mean 
that the devotee becomes dependent in every respect. And so in terms of understanding Prabhupada and different kinds of statements he made and which ones are absolute, in terms of understanding how we bring conditioned souls to Krishna consciousness, we need to keep this purport in mind. To surrender unto the Lord through the transparent medium of the spiritual master is to attain complete freedom of life. So the more we are Krishna conscious, the more we are Krishna conscious, the freer we are, not the more robotic we are. And of course, the more we are Krishna conscious, uh, the more we naturally do the right thing. Not because someone is just doing it through us and, and, and you know we don't do anything, but out of love, we do what will please the person we love. And in this case, we know the person we love, Krishna, is also infinitely good in moral terms. Krishna is infinitely good. He, everything that Krishna desires is for the greatest good of every soul. And therefore to love Krishna and to sim simply do what pleases him is naturally to act in a perfectly moral way to do what is best for all souls and to do so freely, to do it freely. So uh, that is uh, what I wanted to say there. Okay, so uh, thank you all very much. I hope everyone is staying safe and, uh, and I hope that everyone is um, of Krishna. Thank you all very much for listening and I hope to see you again or hope we'll be together again next week. Hare Krishna. So believe it or not I came back on the air <laughs> for a good reason because uh, there were questions but um, somehow they went to the wrong place but now I have them. So there's a few questions, let's see. So sorry for that interruption. And that, uh, I guess sometimes like in, you know, in theaters, someone does a show and then they say goodbye and they come back on stage. <laughs> so I couldn't hear you clapping, but I came back on stage. So if the yugas don't, if the yugas don't happen during the night of Brahma, what is going on with the souls and the material world? Is it all in a standby mode? Pretty much, yes. Uh, like I said, souls need to rest. And, you know, when you're that tired after millions and millions of years of fighting through your karma, uh, you know, a few million years of rest just seems like, uh, you know, goes by in a minute. So in, in is this special darsha Narda had to be considered a causeless mercy in the sense that Krishna himself says Narda that it's not yet time? Uh... No, it's not causeless mercy. I mean, mercy, the word mercy means causeless, but um, because this is another life. Krishna is appearing to Narada in, in his next life. So in this life, Narada is pure, and therefore he's always seen. I mean, he was, you know, in terms of Narada's first life, you know, we should be so impure. You know, it would be our um, the most amazing thing that happened to us if we could be as impure as Narada was because he was such a great soul. But in this next life, after, after he comes out of Mahavishnu, he, he, at, the, at the end of 
that past life, the first life Nard is talking about, at the end of that life, uh, he made it. He successfully completed that life. He was given a spiritual body. And then after that, uh, he came back out again. And at that point, he did see Krishna. So once I heard Nanda, Yashoda, and Devaki, and Vasudeva, the same souls all through the universe for every time they had to come to reenact pastimes of Krishna. Uh, Prabhupada explains all that. I think that's all in the 10th canto. What about all the other devotees and demons from Krishna's main incarnation, like Narada, Dhruva, Prahlad, or Jaya, Vijaya's appearance, the demons like Hiranyakashmi, or Hiranyakashmi, are they always the same souls? Or uh, they change throughout the yugas? Um, I think Prabhupada explains that. It's, um, I mean, one thing we know, Krishna gives everyone a chance. I mean, there are innumerable universes, so what's important to know is that if you want to appear as Krishna's parent, you will get the chance. There's going, there's never going to be a situation where you really want to play a certain role in Krishna's pastime and you're pure and Krishna says, I'm really sorry that position is taken. So that doesn't happen. It's Vaikuntha. There's no anxiety. So if you want to serve Krishna and your desire is pure to serve Krishna in that way, then you will be able to serve Krishna. That's the important point. Uh, yeah, tell it like it is. Is this good for us if we want to preach? With civility, of course. Yeah, we have to be intelligent. We have to be polite, we have to be sensitive, we have to be clever, relevant, but straightforward. We should be straightforward, but in, in a very intelligent, effective way, taking into account the sensitivities of the people we're talking to, the historical situation, and, and, and that, yeah, so we should be straightforward, but effectively. One time I heard you say that Narda has blonde hair, uh, yeah, it's in the Bhagavatam 10th Canto, Chapter 70. Uh, what about paintings in our books? Yep. Another blonde person, and this is stated in the Rig Veda, is, of course, Lord Indra. And so, yeah, so our paintings are, anyway, Bernarda is blonde. So when non-devotees do things that indirectly benefit devotees, when non-devotees do things that indirectly benefit devotees, like donating food or flowers, then they don't actually do devotional service? Uh, well, if if they are intentionally giving something to a devotee, you know, devotees, we have a certain, I don't know you'd say, vibration or something. People, it's so funny. There's so many stories where some devotees completely in disguise and someone says, oh, are you a Hare Krishna? So devotees have a certain quality have a certain nature and so if someone comes in touch with a devotee and wants to help that person then at a, you could say at an intuitive level maybe unconscious level something very good is happening in any case donating food or flowers is pious activity and rewarded and to the extent that the person understands that this is a special person or somehow this person has some connection to god or religion to that extent there's even more benefit we hear devotees say that all the time that non-devotees did devotional service unknowingly. Um, devotional service, I mean, you can do something, you can help the devotees unknowingly. 
But as Prabhupada himself explains in the Jamila story, you get benefit to the extent that you do something consciously. And that's actually what Krishna says in the Bhagavad Gita, chapter 17, verse 28. The last verse of chapter 17, if you read it, you'll see, I'm just quoting Krishna. How can we understand what are our actual blocks that hinder us in our spiritual progress so we can actually use our freedom in the right way to please Krishna? Well, we have to have a certain amount of self-knowledge. And if you think about it, there's nothing to stop us from just taking a good, honest look at ourselves. The only thing that might stop us is uh, if we're just deluded by false pride. So if we can just put aside that sort of delusional pride and false ego and just be honest with ourselves. And that's something which even non-devotees, you know, sometimes someone says, okay, I've been fooling myself or I've been pretending, but to be perfectly honest, I'm not a very good cello player. That, by the way, is not for my disciple, uh, Jaisita, who's an excellent cello player, but I mean, some could say, okay, I'm not really as good at, at this as I thought, or actually, I haven't been kind to you, or I'm not really, you know, it, it's just it's just a human thing, not to speak of a spiritual thing, just to kind of say, wait a second, let me take an honest look at myself. Am I being a jerk in some situations? Am I being fair? Am I too proud? It's just your basic decency and sanity to take an honest look at yourself. And even non-devotees do that. Well, not as efficiently because they can't honestly see that I should be serving God. But, but based on the knowledge we have, the Krishna conscious knowledge we have, we have to take a good, honest look at ourselves, put aside all the vanity, put aside the pride, and just take an honest look. What am I doing with my life? How am I treating other people? How am I treating Krishna? And so that's all it takes. It's just to be honest with ourselves. That's all it takes. So there are no more questions. And this time, after one goodbye, which was just a call for applause, so I come back on stage. <laughs> just kidding. So this time I think we're really ending. So thank you very much, Hare Krishna.